and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, and I am coming to you live from, I guess, the road to Butch versus Gore. I don't know, I'm, I'm in transit at the moment, on the road. It's always fun. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm enjoying my time away from, from Portland right now, but um, not as much as I enjoyed doing the fun little uh, Q&A edition of the show last week. Thank you to everybody sending questions again. That was rad. But uh, before we get to Butch vs. Gore this weekend, uh, we, there's another event that needed a l- needed to be run through a little bit um, and and reviewed, so to speak. And that would be All Elite Wrestling's latest pay-per-view, Revolution. Um, went down last Saturday, and I am very pleased that uh, Fan Bites Colette Aaron decided to come back on the show and join me after our um, rad discussion about Nyla Rose's title win a couple weeks ago. And um, this was a really fun conversation, a really fun way to kind of relive that show and and really hit the high points. We didn't necessarily like all of the same stuff on the show, but I think that's the beauty of pro, pro wrestling. Everybody finds something different to like and know is it's honestly it's just fun kind of realizing the differences in opinion and and working through that because it's a lot easier to discuss the differences in opinion of pro wrestling <laughs> most of the time looking at certain people most of the time it is um but i don't know it was a fun conversation i'm going to shut up my voice sounds a little scratchy to me, at least, so I'm gonna <laughs> stop here, and then we'll get into that conversation there. Um, check it out. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and uh, we have a huge event uh, to unpack this week. We haven't really done a traditional. Uh, pay-per-view review for all elite wrestling just yet i know full gear was the first one that came up after our show started but i feel like it's time to actually give all elite their their due in some ways here and actually break down their pay-per-view from like the very beginning to the very end the nitty-gritty and the perfect person that i feel to help me do that is fan bites colette aaron you heard her la- a couple weeks ago talking about Nyla Rose's uh, big championship win, and I, that conversation was so great that I had to have her back. Colette, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing awesome. Oh, So we are, as we're recording this, just about a day removed from AEW Revolution. Um, although, uh, from what I understand, and I don't know if this is too inside baseball here, but um, you are only like about an hour removed <laughs> from watching yeah, AEW yeah. Revolution. Just got finished watching it, essentially. Yeah. Thank you to Bleacher Report Live for being on top of getting their replays up on a Tommy fashion. Um, because honestly, I would have been in the same boat because I was I I tend to watch the pay per views not live just because like I'm kind of a night owl and I like to watch stuff later on. But yeah, yeah like I, I was super bummed to hear that, that uh, Bleacher Report was having that issue. But I guess, I don't know if that's necessarily a Bleacher Report issue or all elite issue. I don't know. Yeah. They just didn't get it up until like this morning, which meant that I like split it between, you know, going to work essentially. So 
Um, I got up to Cody versus MJF and then, then went to work and then came back and settled in for the back half of the card. So it wasn't that bad. That's honestly not a bad split, actually, just knowing how that card broke down. Obviously, like the major matches going into the show, we had the main event with John Moxley challenging Chris Jericho for the AEW uh, World Heavyweight Championship. Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander going one-on-one for the Women's World Championship. Um, MJF and Cody in the yep. uh, the blood feud of the afternoon. And then I would say maybe the most anticipated match or the most well-built match in a lot of ways, the tag team title match between uh, champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and uh, mm-hmm. the Young Bucks. Um, so before we get into the, – obviously there were more matches as well with that delivered in m- – many ways arguably i would say they delivered better than some of the major matches that were promoted for this show but um before we get into that i kind of just want to get your feel for like the show overall like what was your your takeaway um walking away from from taking an AEW revolution um i mean i think that the show overall was was very good um there's like some some matches that i wasn't into um which we can probably talk about later um but like for the most part the the only real issue that i that i had with it like as a total viewing experience is that um like the unfortunately like the placement well i well i have two problems i guess i didn't like the uh the jay caker dustin rhodes match um for like a couple of reasons but um the the way that the card was structured um they really put the women's championship match in in a death spot like they they presented like this incredible feat of crazy tag team wrestling and then they just like kind of threw um like Nyla and then like Chris Statlander who they're still kind of reestablishing uh after letting the Nightmare Collective ruin her momentum uh like they just kind of threw them out there to like let the crowd recover and I don't think that that's really a fair placement for one of their three championships but other than that I thought I thought the show like flowed very well i thought that it was presented excellently i thought the commentary was great um and i think for the most part like the right the right stuff happened yeah i think i definitely agree with you on the the match placement and the pacing there obviously the the arg the, the real major argument in in uh event pacing really boils down to whether you subscribe to the the japanese model where it's just literally there's not really taken into account like let down spots or anything like that it's just we book from the smallest hype to the biggest hype or the the lowest uh uh like monumental status to the highest monumental status or you go or you go to the american style which has basically been perpetuated by wwe where you have like the bathroom break matches you know and and I I really frustrated to see that AEW is incorporating some of that match pacing style because like I I think well, coming away from the show I think that if you had just switched the the women's world championship match and uh Pac and Orange Cassidy cuz the mm-hmm. Pac Orange Cassidy match could have followed any match on this card. That 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 match could have won back the crowd immediately after that clinic of tag team wrestling that we saw. Yeah. So yeah. I, like so it's just really frustrating to see that they work maybe not like full on in the same way that WWE subscribes to that model, but they were definitely thinking along those lines and not really 
not really taking into account exactly what, especially taking into account um, the kind of coldness of the match, really. You know, like it, yeah. because well, there was a, no storyline. Exactly. Like this was just announced like a week ahead. It was the first time we've seen Chris Statlander since the Nightmare Collective, really. Like there really was no, there was no story, there was no buildup. Yeah, and I, like I think, like really, like a better a better thing to do would have maybe been to have like had the the Statlander Nyla Rose match be the opener actually, um, just to kind of give it like a spotlight on its own and like move the Hager Dustin Rhodes match into the death spot because that is also a match that like had a little bit more storyline to it, but like wasn't built exceptionally well. Uh, most people I know weren't really looking forward to, to seeing, you know, uh, the former Jack Swagger uh, re-debut in the, in the world of professional wrestling. Um, like there was just, there was, there was just better places on the card for that match that like would have done it, you know, um, like more of a kindness. Like I, I think that any match that you throw out in the opener to like a hot crowd is going to be, pretty much universally accepted. And I think that that's something that like, honestly, the women's title kind of needs at the moment. No, it definitely does. I mean, any, any spark that you can keep giving to, to that belt and, and Nyla as champion, I think will work wonders, especially as they try and like, they always seem to be like reestablishing their women's division in a lot of ways. Like they've done well <laughs> to, to build Nyla to like the kind of the, the strong woman of the division, like the, for lack of a better term, the beast, where like she is the dominant force there um they've rehabbed her wonderfully well from the first six months that they had her on on their events and everything where she was just dropping like multi-person matches left and right but yeah like i don't know it was the spot they put it in was terrible it would have worked perfect as the opener i think anything would have worked better as the opener than jake hager and Dustin Rhodes, like I, I adore Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes is one of those people that I really got me into wrestling because I came along mm-hmm. at a, at the at the time when he was gold when he was portraying Gold Dust. That was my latch on point. So I really res- respect Dustin Rhodes. I love watching Dustin Rhodes. This match was so bad <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, and it, yeah. it felt like a mid two or not mid, but like late two thousands era like WWE mid card match, like like the ECW title match, like in the middle of like a a, a nothing pay per view. If you remember the ECW title, oh, I remember that the the big silver belt. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I remember wherever Jake Jack Swagger had his run with it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> God, <laughs> back when he was a blue chipper. Yes, back when he was using that gut wrench power bomb instead of uh, the groin knee as a finisher. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like there were. Th- here's the thing about this match. To me, this match could have worked if it had just been. There was too much like extra in this match. You did not need Hager's wife there, like basically yeah. just hamming it up the entire time. You didn't need Dustin like forcing forcing himself on her in a in a spot that worked in the 70s and was still gross in the 70s and is even less accepted now even though it popped the crowd that frustrated me um but like there's just there was just so much extra going on in this match where like 
it really didn't have the the sort of build that you want to the finish. And I like that they're having Hager stick with the MMA sort of style gimmick where he, I like the arm triangle finisher, you know, like it's, I, I oh, don't do think it, I do. I really, I, I am a sucker for that sort of thing. I know it's, it's not getting over at all. The crowd is not buying into it, but well, they can't see it. Yes. Like, it just looks like he was smothering Dustin in his armpit. (laughs) Like, I I tweeted a bunch about this while I was watching it, but, like, I I really think that, like, kind of the failing of a lot of, like, wrestlers turned MMA people turned back into wrestlers when they try to adapt mixed martial arts into their, their, you know, wrestling style is that they never pick, like, a visual finisher. Like, when Brock Lesnar came back, uh, initially, like his finisher wasn't the F5 anymore. He was using the Kimura lock, um, and it just it never took off. Like he was breaking people's arms with it in like kayfabe, and like no one cared because it just looked like a hammer lock, like a from but from like the other side of the body. Um, and like wrestling fans have been treated to or like been trained to like look at moves like that as less a finisher and more of a rest hold. So, like the short arm triangle, like it's it's a devastating move. Like it's a finisher, like for sure, but it's, it's just not something that like lets the crowd see what's happening. Um, I don't think it's ever going to get over <laughs> like uh, the ankle lock and the gut wrench power bomber are, are much more like visual moves. No, you're so, definitely not wrong. <laughs> it just felt anticlimactic. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I like the move and it still felt anticlimactic. Just based, yeah. based off of how the match built up and everything, like so. Obviously, Hager goes over. That was kind of I felt like that was the expected outcome there. Um, I mean, it was his first match in uh, his first match ever in AEW, so it just kind of made sense. I don't know. Um, yeah, for sure. Know, yeah, but I think the match that I thought should have been the opener was what we got second on the card here. That was Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara. Um, this fucking car crash of a match. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, I, okay, I absolutely adore Darby Allen. I have loved him since the first time I saw him in MLW doing a coffin drop with a steel chair, like duct tape to himself. Yeah. The, the kid is crazy. The kid is out there and, and I love him for it. And I also, part of me hates watching his matches because of it, because I'm just afraid that I'm going to just see him severely hurt himself. And he almost did that in this match multiple times with Sammy's help. Um, yeah. What yeah, was... there was a Spanish fly that looked a little, little shaky. Oh yeah. I'm, 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 honestly, I give Sammy a lot of credit with that because like being able to like re like, like maintain like, your balance. Like that. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I cannot imagine having that sort of like balance and also that sort of like fearlessness just to kind of like maintain yeah. that composure up there. Um, I feel like, yeah, I like, I know what you're talking about with like watching like Darby nearly hurt himself. Cause like there was like, even like a kind of a, I can't believe that this is a simple thing anymore, but given how many you see on a show, like, uh, like the Tope Suicido where like his boot hit the ropes, like, you don't see that all the time. And he, he came up short on that dive because of it. And I mean, like worse, worse comes to worse. Like that was probably the nicest way to land when you screw up on a Tope Suicida. 
Um, but like, I, I feel like Darby has like this, this weird X factor because of like the stuff that he's willing to do to himself where like when he messes up, it's not even really messing up. Like it's, it's, it's almost part of his charm. Like the, he, it, it enhances the match in a way that's like really, really hard to, um, to even like describe. Yeah, I mean it 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 contributes to his like relentless attitude that he takes to the ring and I think that's really what endears him to a lot of people. Um and that that Tope Suicida spot scared me. That was probably the scariest part of the night for me personally because yeah. like we're only a few months away from La Parka dying because of a similar botch. You know. Right, right. And we like and you know watching an AEW show that like that's just like the first of like forty suicide dives you're gonna see. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that wasn't even like the most like ridiculous thing that we saw in this match. Like that like you said, that was one of the simpler moves that was that could yeah. have been executed in this match. Cause like mere minutes later, like Sammy is throwing a skateboard straight into Darby's face. We're seeing yep. him do a six thirty off the of the thirty cent on God. I have I have never seen someone hit that move from the top of the post through a table on the floor like that. That yeah. I left I was glad that I was home alone watching that match because I leaped out of my chair and almost broke my coffee table just screaming. I'm like, yeah. how how do you not just and we're also talking about Sammy who's coming off of a ankle injury. Like he's doing right, all yeah. of this stuff with a bum leg. I like, it was just I really feel just, like Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you're fine. I was finished. I was finished up there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I feel like you know wrestlers like Darby and and like you know on the other end of the the spectrum, like people like MJF, like they get kind of a lot of hype for being like the the young like uh, fun to watch talent in AEW. But like Sammy Guevara is also someone who strikes me as like potentially a very special wrestler. Like I. I love watching him perform. I hate his guts because he's such an effective heel. Um, and he's like, I don't even, I, I think that he's like younger than 25. Like he's, he potentially has like a very long career ahead of him and he's already so good. Yeah. I mean, the dude's been killing it all over. I know I, I really came to know him during his run down in, uh, in triple a, Whenever he was there, um, I can't remember if he was their cruiserweight champion or their welterweight champion. Uh, one of the, one of the weights, and he was like, the cruiserweight champion. Yes, there we go. Yeah, like him, like his run down there was amazing to watch. Like he acclimated to the lucha style so well, and it was crazy for me to learn that he basically self-taught himself a lot of his like acrobatic stuff, which makes sense wow. when you see just how like the lack of Christmas on his six thirty, like compared <laughs> to somebody yeah. like Jack Evans or Ricochet, you know. But it it works. It worked for this match because like both dudes were just like pulling out all the stops and just throwing caution to the wind in this way where, like the fact that he twisted a little bit to the side on his six thirty just added to the match like you were talking about. So yeah, like this one was just I. It was probably my. It was definitely my favorite match to that point because I at that point we had had just the pre-show and Hager Dustin, but you know that one. Honestly, it was probably top three of the night for me, if I have to be honest. Yeah, I loved it. I thought yeah. it was great. I'm curious to get your take on this, because we talked about Darby's ability to kind of um, uh, like speak to the crowd in a lot of ways. And a lot of kids have latched on to Darby Allen. 
I'm curious yeah. to know, like, what, kind of get your opinion. Like, why do you think that is? Why do you think kids specifically have latched on to Darby in that way? Um, he looks cool. Like, <laughs> he's he's a very cool looking wrestler. Like, it's like like I don't know. I don't know if you ever latched on to any like anyone like that when you were younger. But like, you know, it's one like one of those things where like my sister and I got very into like Danzig and the Misfits and and all that kind of oh, stuff yeah. because you know, they, they looked vaguely threatening. They were a lot of fun. Um, and like, they had kind of like the feel of like underdogs, which is like what a lot of kids feel like. Um, like I, like if, if I were a child, like Darby Allen would be my favorite wrestler. Like when I, when I was a child, my favorite wrestler was Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. Um, like just cause he's, he's something different. Like he's something that you can kind of see yourself in because, he is very much a wrestler of the moment. Like I, I totally get it. I totally see why kids would like him. Hmm. No, I mean it makes sense. Just like tapping back into like how much I was into Crow Sting back in like the yeah mid nineties. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> like, loves it, black and white face paint. That's the ex- that's the real ticket. Exactly. It speaks to everyone. Um, and this honestly, in in a way, like our next match also did that too, because the next match is the tag team title match, the match that I think coming out of this show, like the main event, like kind of delivered the biggest, maybe not the big, I don't know, the biggest moment because you had a title change. Spoiler alert, but yeah, um, th- this tag title match, my God. I, I've seen a lot of people like within, you know, wrestling journal circles and, and fans alike saying like best tag team match they've ever seen best tag team match in American wrestling history. Like a lot of people, I, I know I saw like, you know, for what it's worth Meltzer comparing it to like the, the old uh, all Japan, like the mid nineties, all Japan tag main events with Kobashi and Kawada right, and, right. and Masawa. So like, I, honestly, all, all of that praise is, in my opinion, warranted. This was a clinic in storytelling, a clinic in tag team wrestling. I, I just, I loved every single aspect of this match. Yeah. I don't know if I would go so far as to say that it's like best ever, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was actually thinking about kind of like um, someone else pointed out that like the, there was kind of a similar vibe between like this and uh one of my favorite American tag team matches ever, like uh, the Steiner brothers versus Lex Luger and Sting. Um, Mm. Like these like two massive singles wrestlers who are like good friends, better enemies sort of thing um, who are like massively beloved and super good going up against, you know, at the time, like the most like groundbreaking talented tag team in, in America. Um, and that match is, is like, honestly, I think one of the best matches in WCW history. Um, and that's like, kind of like, I, I definitely would compare these two to that where like um, Omega and Paige are such a great tag team. Like I, I almost want them to never break up at this point. Like I, I would prefer them as a team um, just cause like watching, watching them and their like kind of interplay um where like page is very conflicted like not happy at all with his station in the elite justifiably so i think that he's i think that he's totally in the right like here's his tag team partner celebrating with his opponents like week in week out like come on dude like 
have fun with your friend. Like <laughs> ask him what's wrong instead of like maybe making fun of him for drinking a little bit too much. Like, um, I, like I, I, I feel like the, the, where this match succeeds for me, uh, where like a lot of other kind of like big match elite stuff has not succeeded is that like they were actually willing to play a little bit more subtle with stuff. Like, um, the way that like, it wasn't Adam page who wrestled like a heel. It was the young bucks. Um, and like the, the spot at the end, like after the match where like the camera was in excellent position to see, um, hangman, like consider hitting Kenny with a buckshot lariat only to like change his mind. Like it was, it was really, really good. And like, honestly, I, I think that a lot of the, like, this is the best tag match, like, stuff comes more from a place where like tag wrestling has been de-emphasized in America for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause like people were saying the same thing about um, like that hell in a cell match between the Usos and the new day. Um, Like whenever there's a good tag team match, I feel like people start calling it like the best ever. I think that this is like, I think this is a tremendous match, like far away, like my favorite match of the night, like no competition, not even close. Um, And I would say that I don't like, I don't, tend to like any of the four people in it so it's it was really impressive um like this is this is a match that people need to go out of their way to see no i definitely agree with you on that i think for me it's it still isn't as it is just under the the golden lovers young bucks match from the uh the the first long beach show that new japan ran a, a year or two ago um, mm-hmm. but they're both very, very similar in how they're structured. Like you, you spoke of like these small, subtle moments. One of my favorite moments in this match is where, when the young bucks hit the golden trigger on Kenny and then Kenny kicks out at one, just like with a, yeah, that was really good. Piss and vinegar. Like, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> you, I mean, that was I, a real dick move. <laughs> exactly. Like there was a lot of that <laughs> this match. Like the young bucks, I, I have, I did not realize how much I missed the heel young bucks until i watched this match again i'm like no they these guys have oh, to turn at best. some point i yeah. i can't stand them as faces i don't <laughs> buy it like i just don't buy it well no because like they're still like they, they still have that smarminess to them even whenever they're like being endearing so like yeah. it, there's there's always this undercurrent of them well, just like they know that they're better than everybody else and they're not afraid the to like express it is like Outside of Kenny and I guess Hangman Page, like the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes are only faces because of the circumstances out of which AEW exists. Like they never had a real face turn. Um, like Cody Rhodes is still the American Nightmare. Like the Young Bucks are still the Young Bucks. Like they were heels in New Japan. They were kind of sort of heels in Ring of Honor. Um, but they're the executive vice presidents of a company that exists ostensibly to change the face of American wrestling. So it's hard to boo them. It was, I like, that's why, like, that was the thing that really impressed me about this match was how the young bucks, like were the team that broke due to their frustration. Um, And like, they got the crowd to boo them when like, they're the heroes of, of the entire wrestling world. Um, like I thought it was I thought it was great like I I thought that seeing the Young Bucks play that role was exactly what they needed to like kind of break what was honestly being becoming kind of like a stale routine with them like just being like you know the tag team that everyone thinks is the best in the world 
there's only so far you can get with that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, one more moment I want to revisit in this match, and then we'll move on to the, the Women's World Ch- Championship match. Um, Hangman Page breaking out uh, Marty Skrull's uh, little the chicken combination. Wing. The, 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 not only the chicken wing, but also the just kidding low super kick to set up yeah. the chicken wing. Like I just, there was just something I, I love the little touches like that they add into their matches whenever they really yeah. dial into the storytelling elements of them. And especially when it comes to Marty, because Marty is somebody who is being bantied about, even though he's re-signed with Ring of Honor at this point, he's somebody who will always be um, like a, a topic of conversation around AEW. And I, it's just interesting that Hangman, granted, it does help the story. Basically, them like you know, they left the elite left Marty behind, and Hangman feels like he's being left behind. So it would make sense that he would break out some old school uh, squirrel stuff there. But at the same time, it does also kind of speak to some of the the landscape that's going on, like logistically with pro wrestling right now, because it's it's not a secret that marty wants ring of honor and AEW to work together in some capacity at some point down the line mm-hmm. i thought I, what did you think like seeing that that little not specifically did that like speak anything to to you per se um, or did, can, can i get you thinking about what they could be trying to to, to do with that spot i mean I don't think that I don't think that it's it's like outside of you know being one of those like spots where it refers to like the the deep rich history of the Bullet Club. Um, like oh uh, <laughs> I never thought to hear that phrase. Know, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know if it's going to go any further than that. Like I I don't see how AEW benefits from working with Ring of Honor. So like that might just be a pipe dream on on Marty's behalf. But like I do think that it's like a nice acknowledgement, and I like to see that kind of thing. Um, because, you know, like if you wrestle with or against someone often enough, like you should be able to incorporate their tricks into your, into your bag. Like the young bucks pulled out, um, the, uh, the finisher of the motor city machine guns. Like they, they hit, uh, made, made in Detroit during the match. And I, I liked seeing that, um, you know, like it's, it's always pretty interesting when that kind of stuff happens or like, you know, the, the golden trigger even, or any of the times that Kenny, like, goes for the um Kamengoye. like it's it's nice to see those kind of acknowledgments to like the history of these characters um it makes it feel like there's a a much like deeper like undercurrent to what's happening than just like this is a championship match between four people who know each other very well mm. definitely agree with you on that um and of course the perfect thing to follow up as we already discussed a little bit here uh, to follow up a 30 plus minute clinic is um your match with the least amount of heat going into the uh, Nyla Rose defending the women's world championship against Chris Statlander who came into this match uh, a little under the weather been battling the flu uh most of the week which honestly I, I didn't, didn't see know that people. yeah so apparently like she she's I think she was scheduled for dynamite or something, or no, there was um an event uh over the oh what was it? There was some event that she actually had to pull out like of. Like C two E two or whatever. It might have been either C two E two or it might have been a bar wrestling thing. Um, something, some event. Either way, she had to pull out. That was she battling a flu. Um, and but honestly, it didn't really seem to affect her that much. I mean, she yeah. probably like 
I mean, she honestly, outside of a few like sloppy spots, a few like unfortunate, you know, mess ups that happen in wrestling, it, that's just wrestling. Like this match really, it had potential and they, they worked it fairly well to, as best they could at least, to win back the crowd after such an exhausting match ahead of it. Yeah. You know, starting off very slow, building up to some of the more the more power spots, the the higher exciting spots. And granted, the finish was botched, um, unfortunately. Yeah, that, that was a rough power bomb. Yeah. and But honestly, like, I don't know. At the end of the day, like, I want to see these two wrestle again. I think they have, they obviously have a better match within them because without the the mess ups, I think that this match, without the mess ups and in a better spot on the card, this match would have won the crowd more so than it did. And I really would love to see these two get another opportunity because these are two of the most exciting women that they have in their division outside of, you know, maybe like Riho or. Riho. Um, or uh, I guess Britt Baker. Sheeta. Sheeta, yeah. I, I'm a big, big Swole fan personally, but we'll yeah, see yeah, how, the, how she does. Yeah. What What was your uh, takeaways? I guess. Well, other than what we've already discussed here, like what what would what did you think of the match itself? I mean, I thought I thought it was okay. Like there was it it suffered largely because AEW keeps forgetting to actually book their women's division. Um, like outside of Britt Baker uh, versus Tony Schiavone, like what storyline is there um, in 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 any of the women's division stuff right now? Like it's it's really hard to invest people in a match that exists just because one person challenged another. Um, every match on this card had a reason for being, except for. Uh, this Nyla Rose match. And, like, honestly, like, it's totally fine that Chris Statlander got a title shot. Uh, this should have been Riho's rematch. Like, I, I feel like a, a fourth Riho-Nyla Rose match would have would have done so much more for the crowd than this one did because, like, the, the bigger audience of AEW is still figuring out who Chris Statlander is. They haven't really been given any help post the Nightmare Collective angle. Um and yeah, I don't know. They like the the positioning and everything else just kind of let both of these women down, which is too bad. It's a shame. Do you think they were wrong to have uh, the Nyla Riho rematch that aired on Dynamite two weeks ago, where Nyla won the belt? Do you think that match should have been here instead? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, but I I think that like they they're still in like this mode where they have to book it like anything can happen in AEW like totally fine to book the tag team title change on the cruise ship like that's a that's an interesting environment but you know that even that match had like one week of build like like Nyla had been winning matches largely on AEW Dark uh, and then you know like the match was set up as like really part of the Pac Kenny Omega angle. Um, and and then she just won. Like, I, I think that it would have been better on pay-per-view. Um, I also think that, like, you know, Riho getting her contractually obligated title shot or whatever they do these days, um, like, that's that's the way that story should have happened. Because, um, I mean, SCU got a, got a rematch. Like, where's, where's Riho's? 
Very true. <laughs> it would have been a perfect spot to, to run that back again, especially whenever you have a chance to rebuild Statlander the way they do. Because I think Statlander is a is a player for the long run for them. She's incredible. Like I've seen her stuff on the indies, like particularly with Beyond Wrestling, and she's yes. she's an amazing wrestler, and she's so young, and she's just going to get better from here. Yeah. Uh, there, there will be definitely more um, engrossing stuff from both of these wrestlers down the line, I'm sure. Hopefully they run this match back in with a proper build because I would I would love to see this match live personally. Um, yeah, same here. So we go from probably the match on the card that had the least amount of build to arguably the one that had the most amount of build in a lot of ways uh, with the blood feud coming to a head between uh, Cody and MJF. Um, this ma- I mean, the build of this match had everything. Steel cages, moonsaults, broken toes, lashes, Wardlow just whipping the hell out of a dude. Uh, the end of yeah. the Nightmare Collective. Like, it, it, <laughs> like it, it encompassed so many different things. Um, and then we get to the match, and... I think the match is immediately overshadowed by a certain new piece of artwork (laughs) 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 on Cody Rhodes, which I'm not going to lie. I thought the neck tattoo was a temporary thing at first. I did not realize. It might be. I mean, it might be. be. A friend of mine, a friend of mine who's like got way more tattoos than I do sent me a ton of text messages about this, about how like, you know, in the picture with the needle, the needle's not actually in the skin. Um, he's got stubble, and you're supposed to shave if you're getting a tattoo. Like all this stuff. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm on I'm on the 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 side where Cody Rhodes like got that tattoo for real for real. Um, but <laughs> if in a couple of weeks it's faded down like like a like a henna tattoo from a wedding. Um, I won't be surprised. I will, I will just be like, I actually, no, I will be surprised. Like I'll be totally stunned. It'll be the greatest magic trick. Any member of the Rhodes family has ever pulled off. (laughs) No, I completely agree with you on that because like as much as I thought it was temporary and as much as everyone online has been dragging him for it, that tattoo is like the most Cody Rhodes thing that he could possibly do at this point. Like if like, just looking at all of his merch designs, like you don't you don't make shirts like that. You don't design shirts like that. You don't green light shirts like that without having this really passionate like feeling for this like edgy skull oh, crown. If, if he got Daddy Eats first tattooed on his neck. Oh God. <laughs> that would be the best. That would be oh. the best. God damn it. That'd be so much better than the actual like thing he got tattooed on his neck. <laughs> better than the nightmare nightmare family logo. Yes, so I, I. Oh God, I don't know. Like, I don't want to make fun of him too hard because, like, at the end of the day, like he, if it is a real tattoo, it's something that he's passionate about. And I saw like Brian Pillman Jr. on Twitter, like, kind of like trying to add some like like fantasy booking to it in a way because we don't know why Cody got this tattoo yet. He hasn't explained it himself, right. but like I think uh Pillman Jr was online talking about how like it symbolizes him putting his neck on the line for AEW like it's it's out there you it's always you're always going to see it. You cannot hide it in a way. Yeah, that's that's about like that was kind of what I wrote about it. Um 
Yeah, like the I, I feel like I feel like I kind of agree with Brian Pillman Jr. Where like in the article that I wrote about the tattoo, um, you know, like he he's the kind of guy who like literally wears his heart across his like on his sleeve, you know, like the way he's got the word dream tattooed on his heart and all that. Like it's it's not at all surprising like that this dude would believe so strongly in himself and in what he's doing that he would get his own tattoo, like he would get his own logo tattooed on his neck. Um, mm. like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Brian Pillman Jr.'s fantasy booking involved, but I, I will tell you the fact that there was no tattoo-based offense uh, in this <laughs> match uh, certainly casts aspersions on the idea of professional wrestling being a legitimate competition. Because <laughs> um, I would have been punching, chopping, and scratching the shit out of this dude's neck. Oh, of course. Especially I... if I hated his guts. Oh yeah, I mean, you don't let that slide, especially like something that fresh, because like this can't be more than like eight, nine days, like it's, old. It's less than a week old. Well, yeah, it might be, he might have gotten it done like the day after the steel cage match with Wardlow. Like, I don't know. I did, I did a lot of deep thinking about this tattoo situation, where like the feud was definitely booked around his tattoo appointment. Yeah. Um, which I find to be hysterical. Like, yes. he couldn't get the lashes the week before the tattoo because if he did that, then the tattoo artist would have been like, "Dude, what the what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm not tattooing over welts." Um, but uh, but yeah, like I don't know. He definitely got it done sometime within like the last like week or so, which is probably why he wasn't on dynamite so that he could let that tat heal up a little bit more. Um, it's just it's it's hilarious to like kind of ponder like the the narrative layout of the feud and whole um and you know again like not not saying that wrestling is fake or anything but like mjf is a really really mean dude and he didn't even acknowledge the tattoo during the course of the match like no really they gotta start booking this tattoo yes like how do you not just give like at least one open palm on that thing yeah 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 it's just ridiculous. Anyway, the guy who held you down. <laughs> yes, He's although that guy back to the tattoo parlor for a touch-up. <laughs> God damn it! I I need more tattoo-based wrestling storylines now. Like the last time we got one of those is really what was it? The the final Nitro. It was uh, Bam Bam Bigelow versus Sean Stasiak. Where if Bam yeah. Bam won, he had he got to tattoo Sean Stasiak. He got to tattoo Sean Stasiak. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that being one of the final images of World Championship Wrestling? Oh God, I would have honestly, I would have loved it just because, like, I don't know, Sean Stas. It would have given Sean Stasiak personality at that point. So, I don't know. Maybe that's my own dig there. <laughs> It would have been it would have been totally incredible. And also, it probably would have been like the perfect way for WCW to close out too. Like I, yeah. I get Sting and Ric Flair. That's like the epitome of WCW in terms of like what you remember about it. But come on, it's 2001 WCW. Let Bam Bam Bigelow tattoo Sean Stasiak and then just go off the air with some fireworks on PC Beach. That's all we need. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. 
Oh Lord, it's so good. Um, I guess we could we can move into the actual match now that we've spoken about the thing that overshadowed it in a lot of ways, yeah, <laughs> at least in yeah. terms of the the online chatter about it. Um, I've seen a lot of like differing opinions on this match. For me personally, I think it delivered. It it delivered mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Um, I think the the MJF winning by using the diamond ring that's the only way this could have one that's the only way this thing could have really ended because you're not ending it here um and it's mjf he's not gonna win clean by any way by any means um and honestly i was surprised with the amount of interaction like outside of the ring that we had like as as much as arn and wardlow and brandy all got involved in this match that was really like laser focused on uh Cody finally getting his hands on MJF. Like what what was your takeaway from the match? Oh, I did not like it. Oh yeah? I I did not like it. Like the thing the thing that I noticed like that stuff like I honestly like I think Brandy like she's a very smart woman. She's talented and like she's done some good stuff, but like I I find her presence uh, ringside to be a detriment to most stuff that's going on. Like that, like Bouye punch spot that was going on. Like she's on the hard cam, like shadow boxing with it. And it's like, Oh dude, don't like, just don't like follow Arn Anderson's lead and like, look very serious. Um, or like the, the cross body onto like Wardlow. Like it was just like, there's, there's too much of like the nightmare family stuff around Cody for me to get really invested in his matches. Like he came out with seven people. Um, that's ridiculous. And they all had like matching track coats. Like why? Um, yeah. Didn't we but, just make fun of that on dynamite with Jericho coming out yeah. and his painmaker posse stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I love track jackets. I own, I own a couple, but like, no, not 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 that track jacket. Like, <laughs> not the track jacket with my neck tattoo on the on the pocket. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and like for me, like you know, for for a match like this that was like built up as kind of like a blood feud, uh, it felt too much like a comedy match. Like a lot of the time. Um, like the and I you know I love comedy wrestling. We're we're about to talk about like a great comedy wrestling match. I feel like uh, shortly, um, but like the like the airplane spin Alabama slam type stuff, um, Brandy's cross body, like uh, the the MJF like shrimper thing where he's like biting Cody's toe, um, <laughs> like all of that stuff. Like just it it took away from the feel of, of this being a match where like presumably like one guy wants to absolutely maul the other guy and the other guy is like living to embarrass the other. I thought the finish was fine. Um, and I, I think that it did the job that it needed to do. I, I can totally see why someone would, would enjoy this match. It just was not for me. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some elements of the match that I would have changed. Like, you know, Cody going for pins early. Um, him, I, I do like him having a bit of the hubris at the end of just like hitting crossroad after crossroad and just picking him up and not trying to pin him. Like yeah, that, for sure. 
I like I like how that played into the finish, but like a, just a lot of the stuff on the outside just didn't work for me. Like, why is Brandy unprovoked throwing a beer in Wardlow's face? Yeah, like you know, and then like I I I I love Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson is like Arn Anderson's a father figure. If you grew up in if you grew up in Georgia, like Arn Anderson's a father figure. It's just it's just yeah. required. And I never want to see him take a bump ever again. And yeah, like, that's the thing. God, like the the other thing about that too is that like if you don't know about like Arn Anderson's like the injury that ended his career, like then you don't know why him taking like honestly like a light bump off of a glancing blow is like such a huge deal. Yeah. Um. Like it it it's not like it's something where like. Arn Arn Anderson has obviously like a shit ton of guts for even doing that, but it doesn't look good because you have to do it in a way that's so protected that like, you know, it like you're mitigating the risk of him taking a bump at this point. Yeah, like it just it just there's no reason to put him in 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 that position at this point like it's just it's just yeah. too risky it's too risky for him especially whenever you don't even i was surprised that on commentary that they didn't play up the fact that you know that he had this debilitating neck injury that ended his career mm-hmm. you know and there were moments after he took that bump that he was like i don't know if he was just selling or if this was a legit thing where it looked like his right arm was like had lost some strength you know similarly to how he recognized that his body was failing him back in 97 so like yeah. I just it, watched the ma- like his last match the other day too so mm-hmm. that like that was like hanging over it like a shadow for me. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. Arn Anderson is like historically speaking an incredible like he's great selling. So I'm pretty sure that that's part of it. Um Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's one of those things where, you know, when you do see Arn Anderson do something in the ring, it's usually a spine buster because he's not taking a bump. Exactly. Um, otherwise, like I would say, arguably, like his DDT is just as well known as his Spinebuster. It's like I think the best one ever. Um, no offense to Jake the Snake Roberts, but he can't take a bump, so you can't do that move. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like it's not to not to question the decisions that anyone anyone makes because you know Arn Anderson's a grown ass man; he can do what he wants. Um, Very true. But yeah. It's it's just something where like it didn't look very good and like narratively speaking it was it was just really it was a very contrived moment and the match was full of very contrived moments when it should have just been a straight up like you know blood match. Yeah, definitely. Um, it makes me wonder, like how how excited are you to see this view continue now and knowing how this match like just did not land at all with you i was already tired of it oh yeah like i've been i've been done with it for weeks um like i thought that the the angle like with the 10 lashes was really good um like i thought that that was very effective i also think that when you do something like that that's like the peak of the feud i don't see how they can go any higher than that um so, you know, another month or two of this, like, it'll be interesting to see, like, what their uh, War Games match is, because it's either going to be something related to this or something related to the Inner Circle. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm sure they'll figure something out. Like, there's no way that this is the last match. Um, but I also don't think that they can drag this 
out to like the the next pay per view that's like in May. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they think they can get out of this. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's been it's like I I think that the the way that they established it, the way that they set it up was excellent. Um, like I think that that match against Chris Jericho, like where uh, MJF threw in the towel. I think that's a really special match. Um, I just like I don't think that anything that's happened after the fact has lived up to it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of milk this out to double or nothing. Because I think it is going to at least extend to double or nothing. Um, I just don't know how they're going to get there. Um, and I'm sure blood and guts, which I I don't know. Like I get the why the name choice but also just like yeah come on like i they called it that I, because someone's gonna get eviscerated exactly <laughs> you're gonna see someone's guts in new jersey oh god honestly if they're if you're gonna do it in a in a spot like jersey's the place that's right yes um i don't know i i think that cody mjf will play into the blood and guts edition of dynamite i just don't i I'm very curious to see how they shape that up um, and probably more curious about that than actually how they extend this out to double or nothing. Um, yeah. But either way, we'll find out They'll They'll have something going on Wednesday night here coming up shortly, but I am very excited to move on to this next match because this was probably my second favorite match of the night. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. you, you, God, for anyone who has ever said that Orange Cassidy is killing the business with his like sloth character, I this dude has proved like he already proved so many people wrong ahead of this match. But then you actually get to see him how they incorporate him actually wrestling into a match with his persona. And especially with a guy like Pac, like Orange Cassidy, Pac, another match that really didn't have a lot of heat to it. Although they did do a pretty good job of like playing up these like subtle moments from like dating back to what, like two months ago where like that I had forgotten about with Pac and Orange Cassidy interacting with one another. And they bottled all of that and delivered a comedy match for the ages in a lot of ways, because it wasn't just like straight comedy. Like it, it had elements of comedy built into a very athletic, hard-hitting contest that won over fans like in ways right. that, that I did not expect. Yeah, like the story of the match was like, here's here's this guy Orange Cassidy who's like, you know, just a fun a fun character who's like funny and talented, like obviously who hasn't really had much of a chance to like you know show off his like actual skills. Um, and then he's wrestling Pac, who is the most serious man in the universe. Um, but like, not in a boring way, the way that they would like book, like Lance Storm or someone like that, just like someone who is a, an absolute like murderer in the ring, like just like an incredible wrestler. Um, and like kind of seeing what happens. And I, I feel like what happened was a a strange kind of magic. Like it was so good. Um, at one point, like when uh, when Orange is doing the the spot where he keeps rolling out of the way of the Black Arrow. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it looked like Pac like broke character. <laughs> like he started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> um, like that was 
that was incredible. Like, it was so good. And, like, the people, like, people have been reacting for Orange Cassidy, uh, like, on a massive scale since day one. Uh, and, like, the question, I think, for a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with Orange Cassidy's indie work uh, is whether or not, like, that reaction would, like, hold up to scrutiny, like, for the duration of an entire match. And, uh, yeah, like, it turns out that Orange Cassidy is a fucking fantastic wrestler, and of course it does. Um, and, like, Pac is, I like, honestly, I think Pac is, like, one of the top five wrestlers in the world. Um, so like seeing those two go at it, like, and, and get in all of Orange's stuff, but also like, you know, recovering some of Pac's heat from, um, from his Ironman match loss, like the week before spectacular match. Yeah, no, like I have the only complaint that I really have is like the Lucha brothers running in at the end. Yeah. Yeah, like, that was that, stupid. Yeah, <laughs> that was a really dumb, like, distraction finish there. But other than that, like, everything in this match worked. Pac is the perfect foil for Orange Cassidy. Um, like, and, like you and, want to see Orange beat him so bad. Yes. I mean, I would argue you you want to see anybody beat Pac so bad. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. He's, he plays his bastard character up so well. Um, yeah. But, there, like, like you said, this match was just like this little bit of magic on this show that no one really like people might have expected it to be good but i don't know if anybody expected it to be this good and this overwhelmingly positively received because i love how how into it like tony shivani was yes and it was honestly it was like the first time i've really heard jim ross be really into orange cassidy in a lot of ways like yeah yeah i mean it's it's he was given something to be into like it's one thing to do like a spot or two during like a best friends match, but like they were given a good, like 10, 15 minutes to go out there and do stuff. Like it's hard not to get into something that the crowd is reacting that strongly to. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. I I do want to go back to the, the moment where Cassidy was uh, rolling, evading the black arrow multiple times. Like, cause I, I noticed Pac breaking as well. That, God, that moment just, like, spoke to my heart in so many ways because, like, I I have watched Pac for so long at this point. Like, back to, like, whenever he was, like, just coming over from England working PWG back when, he, like, he first yeah. came to Dragon Gate. Like, watching this dude, like, have these insecurities about himself and his abilities and then getting, like, the validation of being signed to, like, a WWE contract in a lot – in a way – and then seeing that that apex, like him just tumble over it because of you know WWE's attitude towards guys of his size in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Seeing this unbridled happiness come through in his face in this match, like it spoke to me because I'm just like I've watched you for so long. I know the struggles you've been through. I know how you've been mistreated and how you believe you've been mistreated. And to see you actually having fun in the ring whenever you were supposed to be the most surly person in the fucking world. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's just a certain beauty that you only get in pro wrestling. And, and I absolutely, it made me adore this match even more. Um, If there's a second match, I suggest anyone seek out from the show. It's this one, this, this match, Orange Cassidy is a star based off of one match. 
And and if they had a secondary championship, he could be inserted in that spot immediately, I feel, based off of yeah. his performance alone. I would agree with that, for sure. Yeah. And honestly, in a lot of ways, this match kind of overshadowed the, the main event, uh, John Moxley and Chris Jericho. Um, definitely different style matches, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say... Other than Cody and MJF, Moxley and Jericho definitely had the most investment in the build um, to the show. Uh, I really liked the uh, like the implementation of the the eye for an eye thing, and just Moxley's commitment to the gimmick, like even wearing the eye patch over in New Japan. That New Japan, yeah, yes, like it's just you don't get that sort of stuff in wrestling nowadays, <laughs> and and I love that, no. that they continued that. Um, yeah, I thought that that was that was really good, and I mean, you know, going into this match, that his eye is fine. Like, oh yeah, that's that's how that's how wrestling works. Like, just when the heel least suspects it, everything is totally fine. <laughs> exactly, and I and I love that that like they waited to like the perfect moment in the match to do that. Whenever like Jericho finally tried to go after the other eye, because you would think like that would be the first course of action for him. Yeah. But you know, it, it's it's wrestling. We can suspend our disbelief a little bit, I guess. But I don't know. The match overall, um I it's definitely was a little bit lower than the Cody match at full gear, I would say. Um, which is unfortunate because I think Mox is one of the most heated persons in that company right now. Um so it, it's unfortunate that the match didn't deliver. Although, I mean, if you think oh, back, I'm surprised to, to hear you say that. I mean, it, it it delivered for the most part. Let's put it that way. It it still felt a little underwhelming, and I can't quite put my finger on why. Um, I, Moxley's coronation as like the 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 top guy in this company makes total sense, and I'm glad that the belt is on him. I think he is the perfect person to have it on right now. Um, there was just something I just don't know. There's just something that just did not connect fully with me, and I I wish I had a better way to explain it. Because I love the finish, I loved a yeah. lot of the storytelling in it. It just for some reason it just didn't land as hard for me as I I assume it did for you. Yeah, I mean, I I really liked this match quite a bit. Like it had. The thing that I feel like AEW has done really well with its world championship is it's made every match for it feel like a big fight. Like even like, you know, matches that aren't so much in doubt, like when um, Darby Allen challenged for it, like, you know, Jericho is like, honestly, he's smarter now than he ever has been in like the rest of his career and like everything he does feels so huge and and massive and like from the entrance to like the um like even like the the stuff where they were just brawling in the crowd like I, i i feel like they really established a tone um like and it's the kind of thing that you want to see from a giant championship match like this this match, like, with, you know, Moxley's eye and all of that, like, you kind of want to see that play out as sort of, like, same same complaint that I would have about, like, Cody and MJF, where it's like, yeah, this is kind of like a blood feud, and 
the match wasn't really wrestled that way. But considering that, you know, Moxley was just kind of playing up like a, a hurt eye that wasn't really hurt, like it makes sense that the two would settle down to have like an actual wrestling match. Jericho's an, an excellent heel. Um, the the inner circle interference didn't mess with the match too much. Um, and, you know, I, I also respect that um, the finish of the match, like, protected Jericho's finish. Like, the Judas effect was not kicked out of because it didn't land. Um, and, like, I feel like, again, like, it's the kind of thing where um, the commentary really rose to the occasion in kind of explaining, like, hey, like, Chris Jericho was totally thrown off of his game when it was revealed that Mox had his eye, uh, and it was totally fine, because, like, otherwise he totally wouldn't have just walked into to the uh, the paradigm shift. I keep writing Death Rider. Um, I think that sounds way cooler. <laughs> <It does. laughs> um, you know, like he, he like he wouldn't have walked into that DDT if he wasn't stunned by the fact that that Moxley was fine. Like he thought that he built up an advantage, and it turned out not to be an advantage at all. Like I, I, I feel like the booking was was excellent. I feel like you know Moxley and Jericho are are both on another level so far as like seeming to be big important wrestlers um and uh, like i feel like this is actually a title change that was that was booked to towards like it came off well um i i liked it a lot i would say that like for me it was it was my second favorite match of the night after the um tag title match mm. And like, and all the things that you're describing are things that I really liked about the match. Like, I I thought that the inner circle interference was like executed perfectly in a lot of ways. I thought that even you know, I th- like obviously Jericho playing into like him walking into the the finish like worked perfectly, especially with the way they explained it on commentary. Like all of these things that that you're saying, like they worked really well for me as as well. I just there was just something I don't know what it was like. There's it just didn't hit as hard for me in, in yeah. a lot of ways. And I, I, I don't know. I it's just I, I wish I could. I wish I could put my finger on it. I I, I hate because there's always. I think everybody has at least one or two matches that are like that, where you just cannot explain why something didn't land as hard, and yeah. it's super frustrating because I. I was really looking forward to uh, a Moxley win here because I think it was the perfect time to take the belt off of Jericho. Because mm-hmm. if you had if you had kept it on him through double or nothing, you're basically timing that where everybody can guess there's going to be a title change because Jericho has a Fozzie tour coming up. He's going to inevitably be taking time off, and more right. than likely, whenever he does that, he's not going to be leaving with the championship. So, I think that this was a perfect time for it. You can run back with a rematch at Double or Nothing if you want. You could, you could have a rematch on Dynamite at this point um, for for that for the title between the two, and which I, I think, think is what they're gonna do. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I, I. It was a fitting into the first title reign in AEW history, um, and I think that Boxy's promo after the win was uh, even better. In some ways, yeah. <laughs> just because, like, you know, his whole like th- like 
thing right now is like unscripted violence. Like he's very playing up this unscripted thing. And the fact that I heard him drop an F bomb on pay-per-view for the first time since I watched an ECW show, like <laughs> made me so I, one, it shocked me because I think you, your brain is just trained to not expect that, you know, but to actually see it like, okay, no, this actually is unscripted. Like they, he is just out there with a microphone and they're just letting him go. I love it. Right, um, like they were gonna, they were gonna play him off, but he wasn't finished yet. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, it was so good. Um, but yeah, no, I think the, I think it was the perfect outcome uh, for for this event, and I'm very excited to see who they set up as his uh, first challenger. If they roll back Jericho first, or if they try and position someone else there to kind of ex- maybe set some seeds for double or nothing even though we're like three months away from that. Um, real yeah. quick, though, I, I realized that we missed another key element of the Cody MJF match that plays into this match as well. Um, live music intros. Um, right. Because Meredith Bell killed it with that with the inner circle choir, as Jericho dubbed them, um, yeah. in, in the intro I to this match. Ruled. Yes, God, it was so good. Um, and I suggest anybody go out and find Meredith's original YouTube video where she basically just sings the entire Song of Judas acapella, like all the parts. It, it's what it, I think, I'm pretty sure it's what got her the spot you know, on the show. And it, it all fucking slaps. It's really good. Um, but yeah. compare that to Downstate. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. God. Like, most, most AEW theme music is terrible to begin with. It sounds largely like music by bands that got together five minutes ago um that downstate performance sounded like a band that hasn't played together since they recorded that song it was not good no and it was such a bummer because like even though like downstate is a is is a terrible butt rock band like honestly like i i could (laughs) i could be fine with never hearing another downstate song other than cody's theme because cody's theme actually works and i think for me it does it's it it against my better judgment it gets stuck in my head and i actually enjoy it when it does for some reason like it just this is the first time that i was actually able to hear the words in it I will give you that. Yes, other than the chorus, like the first half of the chorus, I have no idea what they're saying in that. I did not realize how much that song is tailored to Cody Rhodes and the Rhodes yeah, family as it is <laughs> until I heard it at this show. Um, but I don't know, like this that just did not work for me at all, and especially whenever you upstage it so much with uh, with Jericho's entrance. Um, God. I don't know. I, I, I almost let that slide, and I could not let that slide. Downstate was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I feel like all of Cody Rhodes' special entrances have been overdone to the point of like being mockable more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I the I like I love Star Trek. The Star Trek entrance was really weird. Um, the like the um the throne breaking one was really weird like it's just like i feel like few dudes take themselves more seriously only like he, his theme song is so like mumble mouth anyhow like 
I'm looking at the lyrics right now, and I had no idea that the first line was adrenaline in my soul. Oh, really? Like, That's the first? Yeah. I thought it was like a tragedy or something. No, adrenaline in my soul, every thought out of control, do it all to get them off their feet. So, like, yeah, I guess that means that he's like a wrestler. Um, that just sounds like a Papa Roach song. Yeah, no, for real. Uh, only Papa Roach is like, great. Crowd is here about to blow, waiting for me to start the show. Out the curtain, lights go up, I'm home. Like, this is a terrible song. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's better that we didn't know the lyrics. Maybe yeah. it's, oh. oh, this is like specifically written for Cody. My father said when I was younger, hard times breed better men. Uh only that's not what he said. Like you said, hard times is when the factory workers can't get no work. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, you took it all away, I give it. All away, I can't take my freedom. Now you bow to me. You took my dreams, but not my name. Oh, this is oh. so bad. Lights Jesus. go down. I'm ready now. Tear this roof off for the town. I'm going to give them what they came to see. This is... This is tremendous stuff hear the crowd on their toes ready for me to start the show out the curtain lights go up i'm home i'm sorry that i'm just reading the lyrics oh no you are fine i take back my criticism like saying this is a papa roach song because i agree with you papa roach is at least some papa roach is good cut my life into pieces i've reached my last resort suffocation (laughs) no breathing (laughs) like it's so much better like god like it's already a bad song but like like i said like it it's it's like a band that was thrown together five weeks ago, like getting together for their second rehearsal, only it's on pay-per-view. God, it's like an Edema song. It is pretty great, though, looking at the YouTube comments on this song where people are like, tough loss last night, or uh, <laughs> this song fit Cody much better than the one he had in WWE, uh, which, I don't know, that song, like, whoa, there goes Cody Rhodes. Like, that song yes. cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> Especially uh, during his like like post dashing run when he had like the like Phantom of the Opera version of it. Yeah, Dashing Rhodes, great queer character. Yes, um, <laughs> heterosexual husband Cody Rhodes, not so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cody's Cody's special intro was was a total misfire. Oh, <laughs> we totally forgot to talk about that because of the tattoo. Yes. Honestly, you know what? I'd rather talk about a tattoo. I'm totally yeah. into that overshadowing whatever. Like, where don't wear a blackout Bulls jersey and try and show off your arms at a wrestling show, dude. Like, just step down. Like, yeah. I, Trapped had better, like, wardrobe choices than you did. Um, anyway, that being said, um, I guess. Final impressions uh, uh, of the show, like where where do you think uh, AEW goes from here? Like, I guess just general takeaways. Uh, overall, like I, I think that this is a really strong show. Like AEW does a really good job with their pay per views. Like I, I feel like they are uh, booked with the full knowledge that a they're a young company and need to impress every time they go out, uh, and b that they're asking fans to pay $50 for pay-per-views in an environment that has seen monthly super cards get devalued to the low price point of nine ninety nine a month. Um, so they have to do well every time they go out. And I, I feel like 
the things on this show, like there's, there's something to appeal to everybody, um, which is not always the case on wrestling cards. Um, and I feel like for the most part, like the, the undercard matches delivered, um, particularly like Darby and Sammy and, um, Pac and Orange Cassidy. Um, and you know, for me, two out of three of the main events really landed. And I think for you, two out of three of the main events really landed, like, that's that's a really solid show. We didn't talk at all about the buy-in, um, but that's fine because I, I never want to talk about SCU. Um, <laughs> like no I'm very them, curious I, I about why. Enough. I have had enough. They're so boring. <laughs> like, they're so boring. <laughs> Their whole thing is that they're competent wrestlers who've been around for a decade or two. I can't yeah. do it. I can't do it. Um <laughs> Like I like I've never seen a Christopher Daniels match that I want to watch twice, um, and and I know that that sounds crazy. Like if if people have seen the Unbreakable Three Way, don't like the Unbreakable Three Way. Never want to see an SCU match. Wow. Um, but yeah, like I I, I feel like you know let downs aside, um, like I anticipate more from Dustin Rhodes matches than I was getting, and. Um, I, I feel like the the women's match is more indicative of AEW's mishandling of their women's division than the talent involved. Um, like I this this was a great pay per view. Like I would I don't know if I'd recommend people spend fifty dollars on anything, but uh, like I, I think that if you're looking to spend money on wrestling and are looking for a good time, like this this fit the bill. Like it was great. Yeah, definitely worth the price tag if if you're into wrestling. Like if if you are a wrestling fan, this is worth the the money that you put down. Uh, at least that's how I felt coming away from it. And you know, I would say they keep like either they keep meeting the same bar or they keep raising it a little bit. I don't know if Revolution raises the bar from their previous events. I th- I still think the the first double or nothing like that just had a certain that set the bar so high in a lot of ways that like full gear almost got there or is on par with it. Revolution's right below it. And it's, it's, it was super engrossing for the most part. Even the things that I didn't like as much, I still was into, you know? So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see where things go for double or nothing coming up in May. I'm very curious to see how they handled this, uh, their version of war games coming up. Um, but yeah, I don't know, it, it at least like left you with something with like a, a kernel of interest. So, like you want to see where they go next. And that's all you can ask for from an event like this. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I would hope that they handle war games. Well, considering that like, you know, Tully Blanchard is on the roster. He's been in more than a few. Arn Anderson's been in more than a few. Dustin's been in one, um, you know, like there's, there's actual experience with that match as opposed to like, piecing it together from like the place of like being a fan for something that hasn't happened in like, since like 1999 um, or that hasn't happened correctly since 1997, um, which is like casting no aspersions on NXT's war games. Like those matches tend to be pretty good, but I feel like it took them a while to figure out what it actually meant to do a war games match. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's really hard to say uh, what's going to happen next. Like, uh, MJF and Cody is going to continue. Uh, I presume that Mox and Jericho are going to have another go around, but 
that's kind of the fun thing about following a promotion that hasn't been around all that long is that it is really hard to tell uh, like what's coming next. Uh, so like the anticipation is the thing. Definitely agree with you on that. Well, Colette, thank you so much for, for joining me in, in unpacking everything from AEW Revolution. Please let everyone know where they can uh, find you on the internet and read your awesome stuff about uh, Cody's neck tattoo. All right. Um, <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I am at Colette Aaron. That's C-O-L-E-T-T-E-A-R-R-A-N-D. Um, and I am a regular columnist for fanbyte.com. Uh, that's F A N B Y T E. Oh, I think I muted myself there for a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Rad, we will definitely uh, have to uh, kind of reconvene after Double or Nothing, maybe, and see just where AEW has taken us since then. All right, sounds good. Look forward to it. You know, after discussing this with with Colette, I went back and rewatched that uh, Jericho Moxley match, and um, I have to say, I think I'm warming up a bit more to it than <laughs> I originally discussed uh, with Colette here. And I don't know, I I like that these kind of that my opinions can change based off of someone else's perception of something and seeing another a match through their eyes. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Revolution was a rad show, and talking about it with Colette was awesome. Uh, definitely give her a follow over on Twitter, at Colette Aaron. Um, and check out all of her stuff and all of the team over at Fanbyte and Fanfight. Uh, they're all doing great stuff all around pro wrestling, and it's sort of irreverent, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but informative nonetheless, and, and, and it's really, really awesome stuff to read um that being said uh, another a really awesome thing to read uh friend of the show sam didier finally released the wrestling with gender zine that we discussed uh, a few weeks ago on the show here um definitely check out uh, their social media um at gay frog and toad and uh have find all the information there to get your copy of that um it's been a pretty interesting read so far, and, and I'm so happy to support people that are willing to explore uh, this awesome uh, thing that we have so much passion for um, through different lenses and, and shed some light on, on those things for people that don't see things uh, through those lenses that often. Um, yeah. But that does bring us to the end of the show this week, uh, but I cannot leave without saying some thank yous to people that help make this show possible. First off, we got to keep it in-house. Um, come back tomorrow on the Outsports Podcast Network and check out another new edition of Ken Schultz's Three Strikes You're Out podcast, all about baseball. This week on Three Strikes You're Out, L.A.-based comedian Michael Palisak joins Ken Schultz to talk about suddenly finding himself living in the home city of the two best players in baseball. Unlike certain WWE pay-per-views, the Three Strikes podcast promises to never disappoint or work with murderous dictators. It's a good promise to make. <laughs> it's a good promise to keep. No, um, I loved going. I loved being on Ken's show last week, and and Ken is doing great stuff along with all the other people here on Out Sports, uh, the Out Sports Podcast Network. It's it's been a really, really rad experience, and it's going to continue to be. And I, and I can't wait to continue that trip with everybody here. 
Um, of course, we also have to thank Daniel Quasar for the Progress Pride flag design that we use in our logo. The Progress Pride flag design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And we have to thank Sarah in the Safe Word for our awesome uh, theme song, Formula 666. It's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And if you're into video games, come to twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment um, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for the Mr. Video Game Super Show, a uh, rad gaming news podcast that I host alongside uh, my close friends and fellow Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. It's r- just ridiculous. I, it's just unbridled fury. <laughs> Maybe not fury. Not the best word. Just we're, we're we're very casual and casual video game industry and analysis and and dumb things is the best way to describe the show. It's rad. Um, but I think that's it for plugs. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm recording this fairly early in the morning, and I am super excited to continue this trip, and I'm super excited to get to Washington, D.C., and uh, check out Primetime Pro Wrestling's Butch vs. Gore this weekend. If you're not going to be in D.C., definitely, and I, I, this is a personal thing for me, just I really believe in what this show is trying to do. Um, check out the show on independentwrestling.tv this weekend, and they're streaming it live on independentwrestling.tv. Um, if you're not going to be able to be in the building in D.C., um, it's gonna be worth. It's gonna be a raucous good time, and we're gonna come back next week with an entire recap of the weekend. Yes, KC is gonna be coming back, <laughs> and we're gonna recap the entire weekend. And this is gonna be a blast, and, and I cannot wait to have this experience. It's gonna be so much fun. But until then, y'all stay messy, be good to one another, and we'll see you next week. Everybody's ready to die